1: To the Steelers Outpost podcast, episode six, on the heels of a glorious victory where the Steelers overachieved and beat the Chiefs 19 to 13.
2: And boy, were we happy yesterday. It was a glorious day. The Pittsburgh Steelers fresh off one of the most embarrassing, just just demoralizing losses ever to the to the Jaguars at home at Heinz Field, bounced back and beat the unquestioned number one team in the NFL in their own place, which is the most difficult place to play in the entire NFL, nonetheless. Great, big victory, amazing, crucial team win. Helps the Steelers in the standings, and it really helps them in terms of morale.
1: So this morning I wake up, I'm ecstatic, I'm happy, I'm still in a good mood, and I go to the gym, and the three Steeler fans in my gym came up to me. What do you think they wanted to talk about?
2: What do they want to talk about? Tell me.
1: They want to talk about Martavis being traded.
2: Well, well, you know, he said he wants it to happen, so it's it's going to happen. And I guess the Steelers season is all downhill from here and that win over the number 1 team is completely devoid of meaning.
1: I think this constant treasure hunt for that tidbit of gossip is a function of the fact that all of us lay people have access to all the information even coaches have now. With the all 22, you can find websites that will tell you which guys were on the field at every minute of the game. There's just nothing left for these guys to uncover that we can't find other than maybe inside information, which they don't have.
2: Right. So, you know, the Steelers soap opera continues, but you can make the argument that maybe it's more of a soap opera for the fans. And to the guys inside the locker room, it may not be such a big deal. For instance, there were reports that came out today that everybody was already joking around with Martavis giving him a hard time about it. But... It is funny to see just every week, no matter win or loss, there's more storylines that happen right after the Steelers have a victory or a loss. But regardless, some people had a bad taste in their mouth from the end of this victory because it was so dominating on the field, both offensively and defensively. Yet it was a close game in the fourth quarter where the Steelers pull out by six and the Chiefs have a chance to win at the end. Uh, People are whining. We got to stop that. Because that was an excellent team win. So I saw an article actually today uh, from Bleacher Report saying the win over the Chiefs doesn't fix the Steelers' problems. Genius. (laughs) Duh. Dude, what makes you think that the Steelers are going to miraculously turn around every single major problem that they have on the team in one game? They sucked against the Jaguars. Okay, everything's going to change from here on out. What makes you think they're going to do that against the number one team in the league? That's just, frankly, unrealistic. What they did accomplish, however, is they improved in a number of those aspects. Obviously, the running game, the passing game was more effective. The defense was stifling. Are there still some of the same problems with the offense not finishing and the defense giving up some big plays? Yes, but they were dominant for most of the game there, and they beat the number one team In the league is a huge win, huge win for the standings. And like we said, huge win for the morale. Big time. Stop focusing on the negative. This was a good win for a Steelers team that is improving and they're only going to get better as they go on. So in
1: the Steelers Outpost podcast, we like to start out by highlighting the three themes of the game and we're going to do that right now. Let's do it. (laughs) Take
2: it, Nick. Nice. Number one. The offense shows up big and controls the game. It was fun to watch, but it is the defense who dominates the day. Glorious. The Kansas City Chiefs, number one team in the NFL. Unquestioned at this point, right? Who knows what will happen by the end, but at this point, the Chiefs are undefeated. They've beat some great teams, and uh, again, they have the best home field advantage in the league. Those dudes had six yards at halftime. They had one drive that went for over 10 yards. This defense was excellent. Did they let up some yards at the end of the game? Yes, but at the end of the day, they only surrendered 13 points. You know, they were excellent. Um, Superb game by the defense.
1: Theme number two, 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 two. two, As you pointed out before, there was improvement on both sides of the ball. Offensively, uh, I think you're going to mention more specifics, but the running was excellent. The blocking seemed to be there. DeCastro showed up. We uh, On defense, the sea gap has finally been sealed like a welded piece of charred metal. That (laughs) hole was plugged.
2: Perhaps you could say a welded piece of charred steel. Hmm? Maybe. We'll see. Perhaps. perhaps But yes, they did seal up some of those problems. So... Again, like we said, this was a great victory and its improvement. The team is heading in the right direction. Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but, man, that's as good as you can get right now. They're only going to get better. So let's move on to theme number three. Three, three, three. three. The Steelers got superstars doing superstar things, A.B. and Le'Veon Bell. The team played well as a whole, but without those two guys having monster games, about almost 300 yards of offense between the two of them. Not to mention the massive big plays. Not to mention AB's weekly miracle. Uh, Steelers and won and one without those guys. Those guys were huge. And the Steelers get yet another victory over Kansas City. That makes Ben 7-1 against them. Some teams just have other teams' numbers. Now, like the Patriots over the Steelers and the Ravens in the past few years. No matter how bad they've been, they've been able to get the Steelers... In the past few years, the Steelers have the Chiefs number. So got another great victory, and the superstars were a big part of that. So we're going to treat you to another
1: segment on Steelers Outpost podcast. We call it the five crucial plays. We still haven't come up with a final name, but these aren't necessarily spectacular plays, but they're what we consider potential turning points in the game, those things which uh, ESPN won't spend a lot
2: of time on. Right. So these are five crucial plays, 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 plays. We're going to get some graphics for that, but you guys get the idea. OK, I'm going to take the first two real quick. These are sort of subtle plays that really change the complexion of the game and were a change in some of the results that we've been seeing from the Steelers in the, in the past few games of the season. My first crucial play is on the second drive of the game. It's third and nine. The crowd is louder than, you know, Arumance. Donald Trump rally in Mobile, Alabama whatever that may mean to you, third down and nine, the Steelers call a running play at a shotgun, pulling the guards. Of course, he runs to the right side. We actually saw them do this a lot in the second half of last year when they went to Le'Veon Bell mode. And sure enough, they get the first down, they keep the drive going, and they eventually score on that drive. That was a huge play because the Steelers had not been getting momentum and, and converting on third downs, particularly early in games. Uh last game, the last half of football they played against the Jaguars, these third and nines, these third and longs, were when Ben was hitting some of those interceptions. So I thought it, it enabled the Steelers to get into a groove. Plus, it was just a sign that Le'Veon was going to have his way this day. So that's the first one. Number two, 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 two. This is a negative play that really affected the outcome of the game. And we have a couple of these every week in the red zone. This is where the Steelers need... To get better offensively. The fade call to A.B. from the two yard line. I thought that the dumbest call I'd seen all year was the double move that they called for A.B. on the two yard line last week. It may be eclipsed by this play. The double move is horrible. But I thought we sort of established that just throwing A.B. jump balls or attempting to throw him one on one routes in the end zone is a bad idea at this point. Stop doing it, please. I don't know if it was Haley who called it. It very well may have been a run that Ben checked to uh, to the to the fade to AB when he saw he had self, uh, single coverage because Antonio was the only guy who went into a route and nobody else even moved. But it was a waste of play from the two-yard line. Uh, the Steelers had passed well to get to that point, but Le'Veon was running wild. You're on the two-yard line. Please don't overthink this. You're running at will on these guys over five yards of carry. Just run the ball into the end zone. The next play, they lose five yards or four yards on a run play. And the play after that, uh, incompletion. So they don't score the touchdown there. Steelers need to come out with touchdowns in the red zone. It's not going to come with fades to AB, as great as he is. They need to have something a little more sustainable.
1: Crucial play number three. And I said we're not going to highlight spectacular plays, but it goes about. With- well, it doesn't go without saying we have to talk about AB's 51-yard touchdown catch. <laughs> yes, we do. The circus, acrobatic. This is why you will never play in the NFL because guys like AB are out there making plays like this. And I wouldn't say he made it look easy, but man, he was so fluid. That ball. He I made it look easy. It
2: was unbelievable. He's in the matrix. <laughs> and Matrix-like how many catch. of these are there? How many of these are there from AB? He does these. Uh, both things. Ben and and Tomlin both said that after the game. It's like, are you really surprised, or is that just AB being AB? And I can't deny that he does so many of those. That was beautiful. I will say, I was watching the game on NFL GameCast. Uh, thanks to Verizon. We're looking for sponsors, by the way, Verizon. So, anyways, um, and at the point of the throw, so I saw Ben get the snap stare at A.B., basically point at him and yell, I'm passing it to him! And then he throws it to A.B., and the ball is in the air, and I see the Chiefs defender jumping up, and you could see it's going right to the Chiefs player. And since I'm watching on my phone at that moment, my woman, she calls me. Great girl, but terrible timing in this instance. And the ball's in the air, and it goes black. Screen goes black. So I'm on Skype with you and I'm yelling, did it get intercepted? Did it get intercepted? And I see your face just open, just jawed to the ground. And I'm wondering, weeping. I'm thinking, they returned this, they're returning them for a touchdown, aren't they? And I finally press ignore on the call and I see A B dancing in the end zone already. <laughs> How there's I had the perfect Vantage point of that a lot of people are saying it looked like it was going to get intercepted You don't know the half of it because I didn't see the rest of the play. It looked like a sure interception A.B. is the man is the man by the way My girlfriend was just calling me because she was watching the game somewhere else at the moment And uh, she had seen the touchdown happen probably like five seconds before. Are you watching this play? (laughs) Well, I got the touchdown text right after that. So, you know, we forgive her because her heart was in the right place but either way Let's move on to number four. What do you crucial for play number, number
1: four? four, and I love this because I think I think a lot of Sean Davis, and I just I see his ascendancy with more experience, just uh, more more competence. And his yeah. strip on Demetrius Harris with twelve forty five in the fourth quarter to stop that touchdown pass was awesome, aggressive. I actually thought Harris could have been credited with a touchdown. I don't know when the play yeah. ends because he had both his hands. It looked like he was gripping the ball two, yep. two feet flat on the ground, but uh, I guess the play was still in progress, and they gave Davis the uh, pass defense. All right. Yeah, who
2: knows? It was a little bit weird, but I agree. He had, he had that ball clutch, and he took one, two, maybe even three steps, but it was a great job by Davis just ripping down with the, uh, the strength of Maryland in his forearm. Beautiful. Stripped it from him. That was a, Gorgeous catch, but an even better job by Davis stripping it out of his hands. I don't think it would be called a catch if we're in the middle of the field, so maybe that's why it's not a catch in the end zone. I digress. Let's move on to crucial play number cinco, which is five in English for all you uh, gringos out there. Either way, number five, last Kansas City drive. We're just going to kind of wrap these into one. Two, it bats the ball down. And this both uh, put them in a third down situation, I believe, uh, within the – it might have been second down. But either way, it made them lose one of the downs uh, on that drive. It was a great job getting up and putting his hands up. Tony Romo on the broadcast made a great point that sometimes the guys who rush and put their hands up are the guys who are unable to get to the quarterback to get sacks. But guys like Tewitt – who are able to get to the quarterback and sometimes get their hands up to bat the ball, those guys are a pain in the butt for quarterbacks. And Tony Romo, probably a good guy to ask about that, right? So he had a big game. We're going to talk more about to it later. But the other one on the same drive, old man, father time himself, Sir James. Silverback. Harrison. Need we say more? Eric Fisher, His His dreams must be haunted by Harrison. I think he only played 13 or 15 snaps, but Tomlin knew when to put him in and man, did he deliver because that really sealed the game for the Steelers. So those are our five crucial plays of the game. A third and nine rush conversion in the beginning of the game. That terrible fade call to AB from the two yard line, which in my mind cost us a touchdown. The AB miracle of the day, 51 yard TD catch the Davis strip on fourth down, Thank you, Andy Reid, for your excellent history of clock management and play calling in the fourth quarter, and the two-at-bat rolled in with the Harrison sack. So those are our five crucial plays of the day.
1: So let's roll into the grades. What we do is look at each position and the coaches, give them a grade and support that grade. Uh, it's a feature we've stolen here on Steelers Outpost podcast. Hopefully, our execution is. Uh, Shout to out to your Lance name.
2: Williams. Lance Williams and his the old uh, podcast. Schwa. That's right. So the offense had an excellent day. They're not finishing. We know this. This is kind of brutal. They're not hitting those super deep passes, and they're not finishing. But those are things that I think that the team can get better at. They controlled this game. They kept Kansas City off the field. They ran at will. And honestly, the passing game was very efficient. The Ben was hitting a lot of things intermediate, and some of the screen game was working, and obviously, like we said before, the rush game was beautiful. The Chiefs never really stopped the Steelers until there were some obvious clock-wasting run situations on the last drive or so. They had one or two maybe nice passes batted down, but really the Steelers just stalled. They were uh, they did not get stopped by the, by the Kansas City Chiefs all day. We're going to give the offense an A. Now, I know <laughs> that's difficult because they only scored 19 points, and... They needed a miracle to get to that point. So, so maybe an A- minus is more fair. But listen, they dominated the game. They did whatever they want. I think that it's a great sign of things to come for them. So those are the positives about the offense. If we want to move into some more of those negatives, let's look at this. Here's two sides of the coin. to the coin here. The first four drives that the Steelers had moved into enemy territory. This is great. These guys are moving the ball. Remember that game against Cleveland. They were hitting three and outs. They've moved a long way since then. And they, uh, Le'Veon had, I think 35 carries this game and Ben had 25 throws. So, so the, the run pass balance was really, the focus was to run just like they did in the divisional game. But we are still having the same issues when the Steelers get into enemy territory, they need to button down the hatches there. So, We're going to take you through the first four possessions really quick and see what happened because here's these crucial errors. It's hard to say which part of the offense is is faltering because it seems to be a different person whenever it gets into enemy territory. First possession, we take a third down sack to get us out of field goal range. It was a nice spin move by the defensive end, so maybe that wasn't so much of a mental miscue. But either way, could have gotten points out of that, should have, did not. Second possession, this was a touchdown possession, Juju... Uh, held. He got a holding penalty, which is like his fourth or fifth. He's holding going for penalty the rookie record. He really games. is. Hey, he's a good blocker. I think once it's he gets blocker. over that stuff, he's going to be, you know, a great one. But man, those holdings are, are brutal. And uh, we still scored on that one, but still almost almost destroyed a drive. Third possession, enemy territory. This is when AB runs the wrong route and Ben gets an interception, which we. No should really be credited to AB at that point. So, again, another mistake. You're on enemy territory. And then the fourth possession was the ridiculous fade call to AB on first down from the two-yard line. Then you lose the four yards on the second down run, which is the Steelers' way. We're going to go for something big on first down. And then we're going to run on second down and lose yardage. And then we're going to throw an incomplete on third down. So that was pretty brutal. Then there there's a couple more things that happened Later in the game, Le'Veon didn't run over Sorensen for that really easy first down to open up the third quarter. That's kind of a bizarre mistake for him in a a day that was pretty beautiful. And then, of course, it wouldn't be a Steelers game in 2017 unless we had a timely holding penalty from one of our guards in enemy territory. Finney did the honors on what I think is Le'Veon Bell's second most beautiful run ever. His first one being in 2014 or 15 in the first game of the season against the Browns, where he had that 50 yard touchdown. It's beautiful. YouTube it. Glorious. But this thing, I was watching with my friend Rico. Rico from LA. Good guy. Great football mind. And he saw the second half of the run. He said, That was a beautiful run. I said, Man, you didn't even see the first half. He checked it out. He looked at the first half. He said, Man, those are beautiful runs on their own, let alone combined. So once again, Steelers are stopping themselves in the red zone. Can't do this. We got to, got to clean this up. But the good news is they're moving in between the twenties. I think they'll clean it up.
1: Oh, I hate for my small contribution here on the analysis of the offense to be negative, but I did go back and I did spend the time and I looked at all the third down possessions of 11. We converted four. uh, one of them ended up being a field that we didn't convert, but we did hit a field goal. So not a mm-hmm. great average. When you look at an, uh, 36 percent average average yards to go in third down was a little over five yards I would I don't think that's uh what they would consider successful yardage right at that point third down and five
2: yeah I didn't get a look at how many third and longs they've had which has been the other big problem for the offense this year besides not finishing but you'd, you'd love to see that number closer to four but um I don't really know if we have time to look them all up right now
1: Um, I think we made the point. But that
2: being said, yeah, they they need to improve that third down percentage.
1: But we ended up, we
2: gave the offense an A. Yeah, and some people might want to argue with that because the points weren't there. But I just think that there's some things, that part is easily cleaned up. Even if they just get a couple more field goals in the game. This team, listen, it's not the 30 points a game team. It's not going to be that. And we said last week, after the Jaguars, the sooner they accept that, the better this team is going to be. You need to turn it into the Le'Veon Bell show with an opportunistic passing game. We need 24, 25 points a game and a good defense. So I think if they just cleaned it up a little bit, they would have had a better game. It was very encouraging. So stop it. Stop thinking about 25, yeah, 35 happy. points.
1: We're going to move on to the quarterback. And Ben had a uh, ben had a much better day. I, In my opinion, I thought he looked a lot more relaxed. He was seventeen for twenty-five, two hundred fifty yards with a touchdown and the aforementioned interception, which we would uh, we would attribute that to somebody else besides Ben.
2: A <laughs> B. Well, it is funny though because if A B gets credit for the uh, interception, he also gets credit for the touchdown, which was Ben's worst that throw on the day. That was Ben's interception, right? I've already heard all these. Freaking pundits and so-called professionals on TV say that Ben, you know, they bailed Ben out. Now it's just the Le'Veon Bell team and Ben didn't do well and they just want to point it. Look how bad the throw was to A.B. for that touchdown. That was one of Ben's – that was Ben's worst throw of the day. He only had – and then he missed Vance Joseph on a, on a kind of wide open one that he should hit. But other than that, I thought Ben had a great day. Like I said last week, he wasn't as bad as the stats showed. He was moving the ball um, – and, but he was definitely much better this week. Obviously, not turning it over, but he hit some great intermediate passes to Martavis and to Antonio Brown, and uh, he had the third nice third and seven conversion to Juju. And I just think that he was firing the ball well downfield, being a little more decisive. Um, I don't know if that audible to the fade. I'm not going to let the fade go. And on the two-yard line, that was horrible. I don't know if that was Ben or Haley, but if it was Ben, then that's a negative. He needs to learn to hand the ball to, to Le'Veon. But overall, Ben gets a B-plus, 17 passes for 252. Um, I know a lot of that came on the the long one to AB Miracle, but I thought Ben did a good job. That's what his role is going to be the rest of the year. He just needs to hit one of those D-passes every game, and I think he's getting closer and closer. So we'll move on to the running
1: back, and uh... – Le'Veon, we we again, he got an A-plus, 32 carries for 179 yards. He does seem to have the number at Kansas City, 5.6-yard average with one touchdown. He also, uh, I guess he's not the second-leading receiver on the team this game. He had three receptions for 12 yards, but all we'll in all, total yards million 191 yards for the day.
2: Uh speaking of having Kansas City's number, it was pretty awesome when they finished the game. You could hear Le'Veon Bell yelling, I love this place! I love this place. <laughs> I mean, sportsmanship not at an all-time high, but he does love this place because all he does is break Steeler rushing records when he gets there. Uh, I don't know if he broke one today, but he did break it in the divisional playoff and like I said before, I think Le'Veon has played really well all season. This was the best blocking we've seen him get against a Chiefs rush defense that is admittedly not that great, but he looked like the NFL MVP. There's not, nothing much more to say on Le'Veon Bell. He was the man. A-plus. the same thing as usual. Elusive in small spaces, falling forward for yards, jaw-dropping runs. He's the man. A-plus. Let's move on to another A-plus. Superstars doing Super things, A B baby, A B. Thank the Lord for A B, because <laughs> where would the Steelers be without A B? Eight catches, one fifty-five, and a miracle touchdown once again. Same same story as Le'Veon Bell. There's nothing new to report. He just add another miracle to the A B play of to the a, B playbook of miracles that he's had throughout his career, and especially throughout the fa- the past few years. Um, he did muff a punt which was an ideal and I don't know what the deal was with that safety punt I feel like he might have actually not realized the rules when they punted it he kind of stopped up there and didn't catch the ball it looked like the center
1: fielder coming in to snag the fly from the second baseman.
2: yeah the lack of communication was a little alarming so he wasn't perfect but it doesn't matter I mean the things that he did he the the miracle I can't say enough about that he you know, that, that kind of stuff changes the complexion of a season. But he also had a lot of great intermediate catches in the game. Great game by A-B, A+. B, a plus.
1: So we we do carve out A-B, but we'll read the wide receivers. Five receptions for, for 59 yards. Marty had a great uh, post on drive three. We didn't score, yep. but uh, I think you were comparing Marty to Odell.
2: Yeah, he, I mean, obviously Marty's not as complete as Odell, but I wrote in my notes here that I think that Martavis Bryant and Odell Beckham Jr. I uh, hope he gets well soon, but Odell are the only two players in the NFL who could house that throw. And obviously, Marty didn't score on that. But we've seen a number of times this year, like we've seen in the past, where he catches that post or that deep slant, and he jumps up in the air, and the guy's right on him. I mean, you, anybody else is going to get tackled immediately, but he just glides like a freaking alien like ghost a gazelle draft, across man. the
1: Serengeti.
2: Just glide he's so fast and his acceleration is outrageous. When he caught that, I was wondering, oh my goodness, he's gonna score. He's going, he's going. And then they got him by by his by his feet. But you know, we we'll have let's more move on to the little Juju, bit later. But.
1: Juju's is turning into quite a dependable receiver. He's not uh three three targets, three receptions, thirty-two yards, and oh. the guy is really uh becoming a great blocker. You know, yeah. holds can be I could sort of accept that since he's still a rookie, but turning into, uh,
2: like I said, a dependable receiver. He might be the number two. I mean, he kind of is. He's getting more snaps than Martavis. It sort of reminds me of the situation when Mike Wallace was in his contract year a little bit. Uh, they ended up giving his contract to Antonio Brown because Mike didn't accept it. He wanted to sign big money for the Dolphins. And I remember thinking that year, I was like, yeah, Mike Wallace is the big play guy. But this at that time, it was still Antonio Brown. He wasn't even A-B yet. I San Antonio Brown's really the number one receiver. He's the guy who makes the catches across the middle on third down. He's really reliable. And there's sort of a similarity with Juju and Marty right now. Juju's been really consistent. Um, also, Martavis' blocking has been really consistent as well. And I think that's a big reason for why the screen game has started to come alive a little bit more in the past few weeks. It's an extension of the run game. Two weeks in a row when they've had successful screens. Some of that is Ben calling good plays when he sees people way off the line. And some of that is Marty and Juju are really blocking well on those. Um, so those are the positives we have from from the receivers. We'll give them an A minus. I'm going to give them a minus because, um, Marty, dude, I trade for real. Let's calm down. Let's pump the brakes here. I know it's, it's not what it was a few years ago, but uh, I feel like you could have had a great season last year. Uh, while well, Ben was still ripping it, and uh, you weren't really available for that. But I do have the best hopes for Marty, and I think he's turned around really well. I think he can still be a huge weapon, but this trade thing, we need, we need to wrap that up. No good. Let's move mm-hmm. on to the offensive line. Please. We're going to give them an A+. This is by far their best performance of the year. Yeah, if you cheer like that, it sounds like thousands of people... <sighs> That's what you got to tell people when you're on a stage or when you find yourself in a public speaking event. Almost like this one. But regardless, O-line was great. They were on the move constantly, which is really a staple of the Steelers' offensive line, especially with Le'Veon Bell. And they did a great job acquitting themselves against a team that does not have a spectacular run defense. It's interesting because this is the best team the Steelers have played all year, but the worst run defense. They've really played a lot of great Front sevens, even with Cleveland, Chicago, Vikings, the Jaguars, and and the Ravens. I mean, I know the Jaguars have low stats, but they had some 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 really good players there, and the the line did their job. I want to point out Chris Hubbard specifically, who's had a pretty brutal year in pass protection so far, giving up a sack and a hold every game he's played in, and he shut Justin Houston down this game coming in from Marcus Gilbert. Hopefully Marcus Gilbert's going to be okay going forward. By the way, he re-injured that hamstring, I but was, he looked I was okay. It's just like they the bring
1: him in too fast. I mean, when they say a guy's healthy, that means he's on the verge of breaking again, but we're going to see how long he can make it.
2: Yeah, the hamstring's kind of got to worry you it's in tricky. that. But Yeah, but Hubbard was great. Um, I'd, yeah, like to I plug,
1: have... I'd like to put in a plug in for Finney. Finney, uh, yes, you did, you did note, note his holding, but he generally was invisible, which I think is good for an offensive player. Any yeah, there were some so, great blocks him by on. him,
2: too. His first start was last year against the Chiefs when, when Le'Veon had a ton of yardage, too. So he also loves Kansas City.
1: They like to bring James and uh, Finney off the, off the shelf for these games. All right, six man of the year award. A-plus for the offensive line. Let's move into the tight ends. Not exactly a, uh, a record day for receptions. One reception for 26 yards. But that reception, was was that McDonald's first catch? It was his first
2: not drop, I'll say that. And it was when the Steelers were backed up on their own two yard line. It was a nice throw by Ben, who missed him earlier. He could have had, you know, fifty something yards that game if Ben hit him both times. But very crucial play at a crucial time. It was not pretty. That man swatted at that ball like I don't know like a bear swatting
1: at salmon going up the stream to spawn.
2: Somehow got a caught on one of his claws and made the catch and Jump back up to run for a few more yards. But that was a nice catch. Uh, Jesse and McDonald blocked much better this week. Vance has been a more solid blocker recently. Jesse was brutal against the Jaguars. He recovered well against the Chiefs. Good blocking day. That leads to a lot of those big runs from Le'Veon. So we're giving the tight ends an A. Can't give them anything less than that.
1: So we'll move on to uh, we'll rate let's judge Mike Tomlin. It's always fun That's to do the coaches. since it I is. have no idea what he actually does for the game plan, but what does he they did beat the number one team in the NFL. Give him credit. Great bounce back game from the Nader to the zenith in two in one week.
2: Yeah. Beat the number one team in the NFL. Huge bounce back game, as we stated before. Tomlin has the Chiefs number. Not to make this negative, but in the same way that Belichick has Tomlin's number. Although I guess you can argue Belichick has most people's number, but it seems particularly bad against us. Tomlin does have a hand in everything. He has a hand in, in the play calling, in the defense, and, and stuff like that. He, he does a good job getting out of the way to let his coordinators do things, but you know, it's Mike Tomlin's team, and as he goes, so, so goes the team. It's a classic Tomlin team situation. They play to the level of their opponent. Last week, it was against a crap team. Team in the Jaguars. Yes, I know they have a great defense, but they also have Blake Bortles. They're a crap team. Uh this week it was against the best team in the NFL. Did a great job. Um I the the only concerning thing, you know, that I gotta say against him is that so, these similar problems are still plaguing the team. This red zone issue has to get fixed and the big plays on defense. They didn't happen in the run game, so I'll say that's an improvement, but they did start happening in the past game. And I guess the only other bad thing I would say about him was just the weekly kind of ridiculous decision he made when they decided to punt on fourth and two from the Chiefs 35. I mean, even if you don't get that first down, Barry ended up punting the the ball out of bounds. It's definitely not a sure thing that Barry's going to pin that inside the five at that point anyway. So it's like, hey, man, your defense has been doing great. I'll give them the ball at the 35, but really I'll take my chances with Le'Veon Bell uh, getting that first down. It's 52-yard field goal and swirling wins, so I understand not kicking it. But those are my gripes against him. Tomlin gets an A.
1: So we'll move on to the um, the offensive coordinator.
2: That guy Todd?
1: That Toddy. Todd Haley?
2: Todd gets a B. I mean, the Steelers' offense could not be more predictable. And it's hard to argue with the results. And some of the best games the Steelers have, uh, have had in the past few years were against – the Cincinnati Bengals and a couple times against the Chiefs, where you know what we're running, we're running that freaking counter, and you're not going to stop it. But at a certain point, that's a bad run defense. We're going to see better run defenses in the future. You need to get a little more creative. I do think that some of these pass plays are not that creative. They have guys running sort of individual routes, like on third down on that on that uh, whatever it was that third drive where they did the fade to AB on in the red zone. On the third down play, Le'Veon ran a slant on the left and A.B. ran an out pattern on the right. It's, it's going to be impossible. You're going to just have to choose one of those guys. They're too far away and too small of a space to make a decision. So he, Ben chose to throw to, to Le'Veon. Le'Veon got held and we didn't get the touchdown even though A.B. was wide open. So he needs to, to get a little more creative with those, with those play callings. But overall, offense did a great job.
1: So we'll move over to my side of the ball. I spent um, low an hour going over every defensive play. Unfortunately, without the All-22, I really had to focus on the line. Right. But uh, we'll give Keith Butler an A. I mean, there were. I did note there there were a lot of creative formations. There were two down linemen, three down linemen. They were shifting the linebackers into odd positions, and the results are obvious. Look Look at absolutely not shut the door in the first half. Push them back into the house. Shove yep. them into the bathroom, put their head in the toilet, and close the lid. Swirly! Hit them Swirl with the swirly! So we're giving Keith Butler an A, and, and overall the defense gets an A. 250 yards allowed when the Chiefs are averaging, I think, 450 yards a game. Only 12 first downs, and they get their first first down, what, with two minutes to go in the first half.
2: Six yards in the first half for the Kareem number one Hunt. team in the NFL at home.
1: Kareem Hunt, who has been averaging uh, 121 yards a game, was absolutely shut down as well.
2: Didn't even get to 30 yards rushing. Had a big had a big player, too, but listen, that's the number one team in the league. They're gonna make some plays. A little concerning how once again the fourth quarter had a little bit of a defensive collapse. Start patting themselves on the back. I don't know if they're they definitely shouldn't be getting tired with all the time that the offense spent on the field for the Steelers, but these fourth quarter collapses need to finish uh, need to be fixed. But like I said, we know what the Steelers' issues are right now. Some of those things can be fixed. What a great performance! Thirteen points at home, number one team in the league. Great job Give so, them an A.
1: So as I said, the defensive line, magnificent game, A plus, penetrating rush. When they when uh, Kansas ran outside of the tackles, they did. They stayed in pursuit, and half the time, Tuit or Hayward or uh, Hargrave is getting the tackle from behind. So, as you mentioned earlier, Tewitt's back in, in rare form. So, I, I just mm-hmm. feel that this this is a class uh, defensive line.
2: Yeah, this Whatever should be the, the strength of I the class. Steelers, really. When you have a great offensive line, a great defensive line, I mean, that's a great recipe, obviously. Uh, looks like Tewitt is really getting back in form to being that superstar that he was for the first three plays of this season. Deserving his new contract. But, man, you've got some real depth with Hargrave coming along and a alu in the backfield, and you already know what you got with Cam. So great job from the defensive line. We're going to move on to the inside linebackers who had themselves a day, particularly big Vinny Williams. We're giving them an A. Huge game from Vince Williams. He had two sacks within a minute at the end of the second quarter, and he ran over <laughs> Kareem Hunt both times. So he's done a great job, kind of like how uh, Hightower does for the Patriots, where he just shoots through the gap, And you get him one-on-one with a running back, and he just trucks the guy. He gets in there, and he's finally finishing his sacks after missing two or three of them when he had the quarterback in his grasp earlier. Um, He made some great stops on the running back as well. Shazier, um, you know, he, he overran a few plays, but overall, this Ryan Shazier, he's a game wrecker, and he did just that, did a great job. And I think that he contributes to the Chiefs not being able to run a lot of that little side-to-side stuff that they like to do. So, A, for the inside linebackers for this game.
1: Moving on to the outside linebackers. We gave them a B plus. I'm a little schizophrenic on the outside linebackers. I love them. I think they had uh, good containment. Nobody got outside. Uh, and as you mentioned before, Sir James Silverback with his timely sack. And expected, by the way. But I spent most of the time watching the defense and just... Trying to observe Bud Dupree, whose name is noticeably absent, he had a tackle, I think he had the first tackle of the game, and then he just was not heard from again and If you watch the plays, he was pushed around by Schwartz and Kelsey all day he when he did get around, he got around very high over the top, wasn't even close wasn't even close to Smith. He got replaced by Chick Low halfway through the third quarter. Chickalow played the rest of the third quarter, and I won't say Chickalow raised the bar at all, but Just disappointed in Bud. He seems to have the longest arms on the team. He is still not he's not even getting close to the quarterback at this point. And I didn't see him make any other tackles after that first one.
2: It definitely makes you nervous. Now I'm not gonna say he's a Jarvis Jones, because he's already done a lot more than Jarvis has, both in in pass rushing and in setting the edge in the run game. But you know, by this time, traditionally those Steelers outside linebackers, you're in your what, third or fourth year now? He, He should be a little bit more physically dominant than he is. So it's a little, it's a little unnerving to see that. Not much to see from TJ Watt from this game. So but it was kind of our focus. Obviously, Harrison steals the day. We're gonna give the outside linebackers who are, you know, they're not the stars of the defense, but they're they're doing their job generally well. We're giving them that B plus. And I guess at that point we can move on to the outsides, to the corners. And boy, was this an interesting game from the corners. And there's some stories to tell and some risks to see for the future because we gave them a C C+. The Silver Bullet, a.k.a. Mike Hilton, a.k.a. Mighty Mouse himself, had a very cool game, I would say. He is a great blitzer. What a great weapon he is at blitzing the quarterback. He caused a lot of pressures. Now, he is a great blitzer, but he is a terrible timer of the snap so he always seems to try and time the snap a little bit too early which ends up showing the blitz to the quarterback which tells him that hey that's where the blitz is coming from they're gonna have one less guy there Um, i need to throw into this zone so it didn't bite him today like it has in the past but he can improve about he can improve with that but that's about where we're gonna go as far as positive things go because once again we did not play a team that has a real drop-back drop passing game. Tony Romo pointed out during the game something pretty astute that when the Chiefs got behind, they had to just go to drop-back passing, let's go back there, drop-back every time, and try and win the game like that. They are not built for that. To- uh, Alex Smith only does that maybe five or six times a game. Most of their stuff is you know, horizontally based. So they didn't get challenged, and still Artie Burns blows basic coverages. The long touchdown, the 57-yard touchdown that De'Anthony Thomas had was a brutal blown coverage where Artie was just standing there pointing to other people while Thomas ran right behind him. And then he – whenever Artie gives up a big play, he always makes sure to miss the tackle too just to put the sugar on top, make sure he gets on ESPN. And not only did he miss the tackle – but Willie Gay missed the tackle, and Hilton slid off him for Hilton's second open field missed tackle of the day. I think that the Steelers have to be wary of the corners going forward. I think they're going to have trouble against real drop-back passing teams. They only get a C plus. So
1: finally, we rate the safeties. And I revealed my love for Sean Davis earlier. We're giving them a B. Sean had eight tackles, the big fourth-quarter strip to stop a, a touchdown um, off of Demetrius Harris. Um, so kudos to Davis, if we didn't have any other safeties playing in the game, this would have been an a game. However, right. we did have another safety playing, Mike Mitchell, so other than his celebrations <laughs> were definitely a plus plus he just seemed to play below the game blow over the line he, he you
2: know Mike personal foul Mitchell, they call him. He's another one. I I think that you need to be worried about Artie and Mitchell going forward. Maybe a little bit less about Artie because he's still young. He's still raw. He's going to keep getting better by the end of the season. I think he'll really have a lot of experience behind him. And he's much more athletic than a Mitchell. But, you know, he's not providing a lot and coming up and making tackles. And the personal foul penalties, you know, whether he was pushed by Chicolo or not, it's just brutal, this guy. So – Maybe we're hitting on him a little bit too much. I know a lot of Steelers fans are hard on him because of some of those things. But honestly, Davis kind of stands above him, beyond him. And they were they were solid. They were B. At least they, they filled their run gaps a little bit better. But
1: So all in all, let's just enjoy that victory. It was a great victory. We, we can always find something to pick apart. It's football. But I wanted to pursue a rumor I heard. Next week, Nick, What's that? you're going to be a man in the field
2: I heard investigative reporting on the scene. We're going to have eyes on the ground for the first time at Heinz Field, yours truly. So, got to get connected with the family back east, if you know what I mean. Well, Let's thank all uh,
1: all of our listeners who contributed to pay for your stay there and the plane ticket. Right, we really appreciate
2: that. You can donate at SteelersOutpost.com. Thank you very much. You can send us any note for any suggestions at uh, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Help us with our segments. Tell us, you know, the tone of our voice is annoying. We won't be able to do anything about that. But, you know, it's great to have that to go to bed to. Regardless, great win for the Steelers. Really puts them ahead of the eight ball. And if they can secure the victory against Cincinnati this week, they're really going to be in the driver's seat for the AFC North and really for the AFC in general because the Raiders lost, the Ravens lost, and the Broncos all lost. And, of course, the Chiefs lost, so the Steelers are in good position. Also, the Patriots almost lost to the Jets. They are not invincible right now. The Steelers got to keep this roll going. Matt Stafford is sort of hobbled. They're gonna be playing him next. We don't want to sh- extrapolate too deep into this, but what a big one for the morale and for the standings. Great win from the Steelers. Let's hope that they improve on those things that we pointed out earlier in the podcast, and they uh, they got some things going from.
1: So we're about out of time tonight, and we do have to go check our fantasy scores. But again, thank you for joining us on the Steelers Outpost podcast. Join us next week for Episode 7. And as Nick said, drop us a line at Steelers Outpost Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week, everybody.
2: Okay, bye-bye.
0: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.